Good to be with you. Good morning, NBC. Hope you're doing well. Uh, welcome back to uh, week two of our outdoor plus online worship. Uh, we are so glad that you're joining us today. In fact, if you missed last week, we began a series on the book of Proverbs, and the subtitle is The Way of Wisdom. Right? So if you're at home and you're watching, you can see that beautiful graphic that Mark D'Augusto made. Um, we are so excited about going through Proverbs, and as Pastor Dave so eloquently put it last week, wisdom, wisdom is not merely about right and wrong. It is about so much more than that. And so let me just offer a definition this morning of what wisdom is. Wisdom is competence in regards to the complexities of life. Wisdom is competence in regards to the complexities of life. In other words, wisdom is the ability to know the right thing to do in the 80% of life when the moral rules don't seem to apply, or aren't as clear, I should say. Now, many of you know what I'm talking about, right? There's complex situations that we face and that, that present themselves to us in life, right? There's, there's questions like, should I marry this person? Or, or should, should I take this job? Or should I go to this school? Should I make that investment? And the question is not really, in, in many cases, right or wrong. The question is, what is the wisest thing to do? What is the wisest thing to do? Now, along with that, and in, maybe even in a greater question, is do I trust God to guide me through that decision? Now, the last time I had the opportunity to stand before you and preach was May 31st, about six weeks ago. It's hard to believe it's been that long. Uh, many of you know, some of you don't, that between then and now, Amanda and I welcomed our second child, our son Josiah, to our family. Now, no doubt, when, when children enter the picture, if you're a parent here, you know that parents often pray, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom, Lord. Now, what you probably don't know in our situation is that we've been praying that prayer since December when at our 12-week ultrasound, the doctor started to talk about uh, genetic conditions and, and concerns of that nature. And, and then each successive ultrasound after that uh, seemed like they kept finding more things to be concerned about. And so all throughout our pregnancy, we were praying, Lord, give us wisdom. Help us to trust you. And I wonder this morning if you've ever prayed a prayer like that. Have you ever had a situation where you asked yourself, do I really trust God? Now, on June 5th, Amanda woke up and she told me, you know, I haven't really felt him move. And wisdom told us that we should call the doctor. And uh, the doctor said, you know, you should go to the hospital and get monitored. And so we did. Uh, not thinking much of it, but when we went to the hospital after they did some monitoring and an ultrasound, the doctors discovered that Josiah had something called hydrops, which it meant that his abdomen was dangerously filling up with fluid and he needed to be delivered immediately. And in that moment, as nerves and fear came over us, we had to ask ourselves, do we really trust God? Now, Josiah was born at 3.30 p.m. on June 5th, and to be honest with you, when I saw him, uh, it, it didn't look good. His little body was bloated, his lungs were young, and they had fluid, and he had to immediately go on a ventilator. In fact, after the, working on him overnight, the doctors came in, and, and they told us they weren't really sure he was going to make it. In that moment, my wife said something very wise. She said, you know, we're going to enjoy him as long as we can. And I thought, that, that is wisdom. <laughs> Do I really trust God? 
Now, that was a difficult day for us, and, and we, we felt incredibly moved by the prayers that our friends and our family, our church family, um, raised for us, crying out to God, saying, Lord, we trust you. Would you intercede on behalf of this child? And I am pleased to report that over a month later, he did turn the corner, and, and he's doing much better. He's off the ventilator. His breathing is significantly improved. He's gaining weight. He's growing. And while there are still many medical issues that we need to figure out, many, many more things that we're going to need wisdom for, our son is with us, and we praise God for that. Now, I share that story by way of introduction, first to, to give you an update, but secondly, because what I want to talk with you about today is what I'm going to call trusting God in the extremes of life. Trusting God in life's extremes. And so I want you to pause for a moment and ask, what extremes am I facing or have I faced in my life? Because at one extreme, life can be very good. And, and in those moments, we must not forget to trust God. Like when, when life is plentiful, when things are humming along, do we still trust God? Be because when life is good, we have a tendency to get comfortable and trust ourselves. Now on the other hand... Sometimes life is very bad, right? And in those moments, we have a tendency to despair. And, and in both moments, in both extremes, as well as all in the middle, we have to trust God. And for some of us, when, listen, for some of us, life was going really great this year, right? Take yourself back to February and everything was humming along and then you hit March and ah, there was a screeching halt. But this pandemic has shown us the reality of life's extremes, and it has exposed where we truly place our trust. So last week, Pastor Dave opened up by talking about Proverbs, and he, and he, the opening of Proverbs, I should say, and he described the outline for this book. Now, you may remember that after the preamble, the first seven verses of chapter one, chapters one to nine of Proverbs offer ten lessons on wisdom, and each of them begin with the phrase, my son. And so it's likely that Solomon used these sayings for a boys' school where he was training people in, in wisdom. And so today I want to look at one of those sayings. We're going to look briefly at Proverbs 3, 1 to 12. And since my son has just been born, these, these words have particular resonance for me. Look, look at verse 1. Proverbs 3, 1. Solomon begins with the words, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And he says, what's the result of these commandments? The result is length of life and peace. And I think too many children forsake what their parents teach them, and it causes great trouble in their life. It's only when we get older that we recognize what a great gift peace actually is. And how do we get peace? Look at verse 3. He says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Now, now, the Hebrew word for steadfast love is chesed. It's, it's the primary term for God's commitment to his people and their reciprocal love for him and their loyalty to him. And faithfulness is a word that conveys God's reliability. In other words, God loves you, right? Whether you're here or whether you're at home, God loves you. Both of these terms show us that God wants an intimate relationship with his children. That is a foundational peace for life peace. Solomon says if you want peace, you have to get God's love deep down in your heart. You have to write it on your heart. It's, it's then that you will find favor and success in the sight of God and man. 
So what do I want to teach my son? First and foremost, I want to teach him the love of God and that his worth and his security are found in him. Because when we know God's love, our trust is secured in all the extremes of life. And that relationship of, from that relationship of love, I should say, we can learn about wisdom. Now, this is a section on training and wisdom, and so we should ask the question, well, how do I get wisdom? And so for the rest of our time today, I want to offer five lessons briefly about attaining wisdom through life's extremes. And these are lessons that, that I've learned in my life, but they're right here in the text. And so the first lesson on attaining wisdom is this. We have to smash our idols. Smash our idols. In verse 5 of chapter 3, we come to that topic of trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Now, if you're listening today and you don't, you don't have very much knowledge of the book of Proverbs, you've probably heard verses 5 and 6 before. Right? These are the most famous verses in the book of Proverbs. But have you stopped and asked yourself, what does this mean? Like, what does trusting the Lord and leaning not on my own understanding have to do with wisdom? <laughs> well, the first point I'd make about that is this. Attaining wisdom is a process. Each of these lessons I'm going to point out to you will build on the other. Because one day, you don't just wake up and become wise. No, it takes a lifetime, right? Hopefully, the 80-year-old is wiser than the 8-year-old. Hopefully. But it's interesting that the first thing Solomon says here is trust in the Lord, which means, right, that it's possible to not trust in the Lord. Think about that. You can believe in God, yet still trust something else for your significance, happiness, and security. And whatever that is, that is your real God. That is what the Bible calls an idol. And even King Solomon the wisest man on earth, wrestled with this. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, it says, that, it says this about Solomon. It says, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. Solomon, the wisest guy on earth, lost his trust, lost his love of the one true God. And I wonder if that's why he pens these verses here in, in verse 5. See, if attaining wisdom means we need to trust the Lord, then the first step in attaining wisdom means we need to root out, we need to smash our idols. And if we're, to place our tr if we're placing our trust in a different God, we're not giving the true God the trust that he deserves. And you may be sitting there saying, well, what does all this have to do with wisdom, right? It has everything to do with wisdom. I mean, think about where you're placing your trust. Is it health? Right, this, this COVID pandemic can easily shake that. In fact, my, my wife will tell you, I rarely get sick. And when I do, my confidence is shaken and I very quickly become a little baby. So we thank God for good health, but it makes a lousy savior because everybody's eventually going to get sick and die. Is it wealth? If as soon as the stock market dips, you start getting anxious and nervous, that may be your idol. Is it a romantic relationship? 
As soon as that person hurts you, you're spiraling into depression. See, see, these false gods distort your vision of the world, yourself, and God. They don't make you wise. They make you, in the words of Proverbs, a fool. If you want to know what your idol is, ask yourself, what do I fear? Right? Consider these idols. Control. You know you have a control idol if your greatest fear, if your greatest nightmare is uncertainty. Approval. You know you have an approval idol if your greatest nightmare is rejection. Comfort. You know you have a comfort idol if your greatest nightmare is stress or demands. Power. You know you have a power idol if your greatest nightmare is humiliation or embarrassment. And listen, when our hearts are controlled by these idols, we forget that God loves us unconditionally, and that leads to unwise decisions. They keep us from trusting God with all of our hearts because our hearts are controlled by another God. They're in love with another God. In fact, there's a reason that Jesus said the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Do you love God like that? Now, as our son has been in the hospital, there have been many times that I've been afraid because I want to control the situation. I don't like being out of control. Maybe that's you too. But it's forced me to evaluate where my trust is. And when I'm trusting in God, I make wiser decisions. And so that leads to the second lesson about attaining wisdom. We get wisdom by submitting to God's word. So we smash our idols and then we submit to God's word. A second mark of the wise person is they submit to God's word. Now, say, so what does Solomon write in verse 6? He says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Did you hear that? Right? No, not, not some of your ways, all of your ways. But here's the thing, I think, for many Christians. We love to submit to God in some of our ways, and yet pretend like we're doing it in all of our ways. For example, I'll submit to God by reading the Bible and attending church, but my speech and the way I treat people the rest of the week is just atrocious. Or I'll give God some of my money, but my view of money is based on the world's perspective, and so I'm stingy when I could be generous. See, the second aspect of wisdom really gets at a worldview issue. And once we root out our idols, we're free to examine our worldview and ask, does my thinking align with God's thinking? And in doing that, we start to discover the messages that we have been believing and see if they're true. And, and when we do this, we start to know ourselves more deeply. The writer of Hebrews says this, he says, For the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Chapter 4, verse 12. Now, attaining wisdom means we submit to God's word, and that means allowing the word of God to look into our heart. But here's the truth. Too often... When we trust in ourselves and not God, we sit in judgment on God's word. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that we think in our intelligence 
that when we read the Bible, we can, we can figure it out. We're reading the Bible rather than, than letting the Bible read us. That we can parse Greek words. We can talk high theological concepts. But if the Word of God is not exposing the sins and the idols in our heart, we've got a bunch of knowledge, but we're not really wise. So ask yourself, will I allow the Bible to overrule my thinking? And if the answer is yes, you're on the path to wisdom. Because listen, many of us, listen, I, a lot of us in here have been reading the Bible for a long time. You've read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 for a long time. But, but have you really stopped and asked yourself, does that verse overrule my thinking? The process of wisdom is long. We have to know our idols. We have to submit to God's word. And as we start to love God deeply and allow him to change our thinking, it humbles our hearts and brings healing. And that's the third lesson on discovering wisdom. It's that we seek out counselors. So smash your idols, submit to God's word, seek out counselors. Now, some of us are listening today, and we love to be the wise person in the room. Right? We, we love to let people know how much we know. And if that's you today, ask yourself, why do you want people to know you're wise? Look at verse 7. Solomon says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Be not wise in your own eyes. What does that mean? It means the wise person is always willing to take advice. In other words, if you're always the person who's giving advice but never getting advice, you are missing a key growth in your ability to become wise. Or another way of saying that is that the wise person is humble. And this lesson is an important piece in facing those extremes of life. Look at verse 8. Solomon says, It will be healing in your flesh and refreshment in your bones. Healing and refreshment. Now, as Amanda and I have been walking through this challenging season we're in right now, I, I am not sure how we could have done it without counselors, without friends who would speak truth from God's word into our lives, without people who displayed the love of God through words and actions, without people who were the hands and feet of Jesus who brought healing and refreshment. Those things come when you're wise enough to ask for help and to receive advice. Smash your idols. Submit to God's word. Seek out a counselor. Smash. Submit. Seek. Th those elements are getting wis of, wis of getting wisdom are self-reflective. And once they're in our heart, we can start turning outward. And so a wise person displays certain actions. That's seen in the last two uh, points about attaining wisdom. Point four is that wise people live generously. A person who is wise is generous, period. In fact, if you look at verses 9 and 10, you'll see that Solomon simply says, honor the Lord with your wealth. How? He says, give of the first fruits of your produce. Now, the first fruits of the crop uh, were to be given to God and the poor in ancient Israel. Why? Because God knows that money has a way of blinding us. It can easily capture our heart. God says here, the wise person is a generous person. Now think about the people you respect in your life. The people you consider wise. Are they generous? Or are they stingy? See, the stingy person is often a greedy person. 
as someone who thinks about themselves all the time. And the person who is controlled by their money or wealth probably has an idol they haven't smashed yet. This, of course, is not to say that money is bad. Money gets a bad rap. Money's not bad, but wisdom does change how you handle money. The wise person gives because they know what they've received from God. The wise person has had their mind changed so that their view of the world matches God's view of the world. The wise person has a heart for people. And that gets us to the fifth and final lesson in this section of Proverbs. The wise person learns from adversity. The wise, the wise person is generous because they know life is hard. The wise person is not surprised when challenges come their way and they don't see them as a punishment from God. No, they see them as an opportunity to grow in their trust and their faith. In these last few verses, we see the extremes of life because sometimes a generous heart, yes, can lead to financial prosperity, but that's not always the case. And if you don't recognize where your prosperity came from, you won't be ready when troubles come your way. And they will. If they haven't, just live a little bit longer. The final mark of wisdom is to be ready for suffering, to develop wisdom and pain. And the wise person is not surprised when suffering comes. In fact, they anticipate it and they trust in the Lord through it. Famous band, the Rolling Stones, once sang a song with these lyrics. It went, there have been good times, there have been bad times, and I've had my share of hard times too. And when the bad times and the hard times come our way, we naturally start to make one of two assumptions about God. First, when bad times come our way, we can start thinking, God hates me and he's punishing me. Or we can think God loves me and he's walking with me. Look at verses 11 and 12. Solomon says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father in whom he delights. Now, as we start wrapping up here, I want you just to take that in. What Solomon is saying is that the person knows suffering can be used for our growth. And yet often when suffering comes, when hard times come, the first question we ask is, why me, God? Like, why me? Why did this have to happen to me? And if that's our question, as difficult as it may be to ask this, I would invite us to consider what is God teaching us through that suffering? Because it's counterintuitive to see discipline as love. That takes wisdom. Now, some suffering is worse than others, right? There is suffering when you lose a grandparent in old age. But there's suffering when an infant child dies or goes through challenges. There's suffering when you lose a job, but there's suffering when your spouse dies unexpectedly and you're left with three little kids. And yet in all those instances, we still have to answer the question, does God love me or does God hate me? Right? That's what we're asking ourselves. But the wise person who has walked through the process of wisdom, who knows that God loves them because of his steadfast love and faithfulness, they know he has a relationship with them, 
The wise person has smashed their idols, has submitted to God's word, has sought out uh, counselors, and has lived generously, and now they will live in their adversity because of their relationship with a good God. Why? Because they trust him. Author Paul Tripp recounts a challenging physical illness he experienced in his book of the same title. He called it Suffering. And after unexpectedly being diagnosed with a kidney condition, a debilitating kidney condition, he writes this. And if you're at home, you can see it on the slide. If not, if you're here, just listen to this. He writes, Suffering has the power to expose what you have been trusting all along. If you lose hope when your physical body fails, maybe your hope wasn't really in your Savior after all. And then he says this. It was humbling to confess that what I thought was faith was actually self-reliance. And friends, if there's one thing I've learned over the years, and if there's one thing I've learned in the last six months, it's that. Right? Suffering has the power to expose what I've been trusting all along. And more often than not, that my trust, the thing I thought was my trust, was actually self-reliance. And I want to tell you today that in the words of Proverbs, that thinking is folly. That's not wisdom. What trials are you facing and what have they exposed in your heart? Now, we've been through a season with our son. But it's probably not one season. It's probably a season of seasons as we continue to ask the Lord, what are you teaching me? Lord, help me. Help me to trust you with all of my heart. Help me to lean not on my own understanding. Through each season, may I acknowledge you, Lord, in all of my ways because of your great steadfast love and faithfulness to me. And some of you may hear that and you think, man, I cannot do that. I can't attain that. But the good news is that someone did for you. Because after all, doesn't God know what it's like to watch his son suffer? Doesn't God know what it's like to watch his son die? See, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he was born as a baby and became the personification of love and wisdom. And when he went to the cross, he displayed for us the love of God and the wisdom of God in one act on a tree. And his sacrifice gave us the power to smash idols. It gave us the reason to submit to the word himself. It provided the healing we're longing for. It was the most generous act in the history of mankind that though he was rich, he became poor for our sake. And in his suffering, he provided the way to everlasting life for us. By his stripes, we are healed. In the extremes of life... He gives us the power and the freedom to live a life of wisdom that brings glory to God. Do you really trust God? He gave his life for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, we love you. Help us to trust you more and more in every single thing that we do. In the extremes of life, help us to know your love more deeply. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm gonna